Okay, never mind. I didn't ask anything. <laughs> Welcome back to Team Cockroach, the podcast about The Good Place, a comedy on NBC by Mike Sherm. Today, we are going to be going over a couple of early episodes from season two. We were a recap show. We would go over each new episode as it came out from about, what was it, episode four or five, I think? Five. Five, Mm mm-hmm. And so now, since we didn't do the beginning part of season two, we're going back and we're also going to go back, well, we have plans to go back to also do season one as we go. But so for today, we're going to be going over episode one and episode two of season two, and that comprises chapters 14 and 15, because episode one was a two-parter, and then chapter 16 of episode two. So let me introduce our co-hosts, Javier Matusevich. Hello. Hello. And Sarah Gardner. Hello. Hi. Rachel Adaman, welcome. Hi, everyone. And a special welcome to our guest on this episode, Glenn Fleshman. Hi there. Hello. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. Thanks for being here. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting for us, too. It, it's almost like this is the good place. <laughs> <laughs> it's the crossover episode. <laughs> that was off the cuff. I did not have that read <laughs> Um So let's go over some, uh, just a very brief recap of these two episodes, because if our listeners are like us, they haven't necessarily watched the show in a while, and so they might need something to sort of catch up. Now, what happens in, this, in these episodes is this is the, the continuation, pretty much immediate continuation after the end of season one. Season one gave us a pretty good uh, preview of what was going to happen in this episode because we saw that Eleanor figured out that it was the bad place and Michael rebooted the good place, the hell that they were in, so that they would all have to start over again with no memory of what they were doing. But Eleanor gave herself a note through Janet to tell herself that something was wrong and in this case that she should go find Chidi. So we start in episode one with that scenario still playing out. Everything's been rebooted and Michael has revised his plan. He's given everybody co-hosts that are other demons rather than the other humans to be their soulmates. And that has a variety of of effects, a variety of torturous behaviors that are uh, scenarios that people have to go through. But at the party, I think it's the, the first night that they're all there together, Michael's plan to have Eleanor get drunk and replicate her bad behavior from the last time around, doesn't succeed. And instead, Eleanor is able to figure out that this is the bad place very, very quickly and stymie Michael's plans. At the same time, Michael is having to fend off pretty much all of his allies. Sean thinks that he's going to fail. Vicky thinks he's going to fail and also doesn't want to have her part be as small as it is. And the other demons are also restless and basically manage to screw things up in ways that hurt Michael and frustrate him. So in episode two, we've gone through that first round, and now we're going to go through another round with Michael saying, oh, I've, I've figured out what's wrong. I've learned my lessons. Eleanor doesn't get to keep that note. But this time around, in that second episode, we go through over and over again new cycles of Michael's efforts to make everything work. And each time the same pattern occurs, Eleanor keeps discovering the truth. When the humans are, are going on trying to figure out what they want to do, Michael is also trying to figure out what to do because Vicky decides to blackmail him. And so they come together at the end in a confrontation where both of them are trying to sort of figure out how to go forward. Eleanor tries to blackmail Michael and Michael tries to join them. That's a very short and off the cuff. That's pretty good, man. Recap. <laughs> That's excellent. I found in rewatching these episodes that they were funnier and 
better than I remembered. And there were just little bits and pieces that stood out to me. And I'm like, wait, how did I miss that the first time I watched it? (laughs) And it just, it was really, really good. And watching this again, it makes me wonder how it took them so long to realize what was going on in season one, because in all of these rotations, they just realize what's going on so quickly. It kind of surprises me they were able to last as long as they did in the first iteration. I thought the um, structure of episodes 14 and 15, you kind of had to pair them together. I don't know how NBC would have been able to pull them apart just because they're so seamless. Like That could have all been one episode, one chapter, and I wouldn't have known any different. I really like the way the characters playing off of each other. I think it's interesting whenever we get a chance to see someone other than Eleanor being the main character of the story. Because I've wondered, you know, what would it be like if we had followed someone else to the good place, like one of the other characters in the in the four, and saw their journey instead of Eleanor's. And that kind of gives you a look into that, considering we see each one of them meet Michael for the first time. And Mm -hmm. what they think of The Good Place, you know, Tahani sticks out a little bit of like, okay, she definitely would not have pictured paradise in this way for herself. You know, we followed them along. I think that was very smart. And then, you know, we roll into episode two where even Jason gets to figure out that this is the bad place. Yeah, so good. (laughs) That's a great moment. They all get to have their moment of discovery. It's always good when we get more than just a single character for an episode. We get to spend time with each of them, which is, I mean, in the course of the whole season, there were some points where it just felt like we didn't get enough of certain characters. I'm thinking specifically of like one where Chidi was essentially written out of an episode, the one where he has acupuncture needles in his face. Yeah. It just <laughs> felt it, it fell flat because we didn't get to spend time with everyone. And this is the the other end of that spectrum. I was thinking too that most TV shows, the season opener was like an entire season or a couple seasons. Like I was at the end of season one, I figured they would reboot and we'd get a season that was a different thing. And right. uh, I I'm you know I yeah. definitely underestimated the uh the show's creators with that because they just have i mean it's funny you think just how many shows have not a limited number of ideas but it takes so long to structure things and they just keep burning show ideas like all right we've you know sure you thought this would be a season well it's actually like 10 minutes of the episode and then we're gonna do it again and again and again and i mean that happens later in the season too they kind of keep doing that to us but it's Mm -hmm. you know it's fastest in this first uh, couple of episodes that they they iterate through so many ideas but you know i want to call out one thing though also which is that i think and i wonder if it'll be something that's in season three that we start to get to know is that eleanor is much better in every iteration i feel like when we see her she's maybe because she knows there's a consequence right you start and that's kind of michael's thesis too at the end of the season is that because she starts in this season every time we see her she is fighting to stay there and the way to do it is she has to evolve she has to become better instead of just sneaking around she could be lying really consistently but she's clearly expecting that her lies would eventually be found out too maybe so she's you know that she's not the eleanor of earth i mean we see a lot of eleanor on earth and she's just thoroughly terrible and vile and we see very little of that extreme eleanor in the good place so i think that's another part that setting up season one we think she's a really terrible person and we see flashbacks throughout setting up season two we know how good she can become we know where she can get to so the eleanor we meet this time around and in all these iterations is actually i think is presented in a much better light more sympathetically yeah i would think for one thing the eleanor of season one or at least the majority of season one wouldn't be so content to keep sober throughout the entire first episode. (laughs) 
And when she meets the couple on the street and has to try and remember their names, uh, she wouldn't have even entertained that idea early into the first season. Yeah, yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They just keep plopping idea after idea into our faces, and it's so rapid fire. And especially since at the end of season one, we all as viewers had that moment of like, oh my God, what did we just see? And then... <laughs> They just snap you right back into it. Just, mm. okay, keep going. You got to stay with us. They they deal with our expectations really nicely in that, yeah, I think all of us had basically a whole year to think about how, oh, they're going to put us through another cycle that takes another season. <laughs> and then they just, they, they subverted that. I have been kind of, I was thinking about this since I've been watching it recently. This There's this sense of exuberance in these two episodes. And I think it also kind of follows through into the, the next episode, uh, episode three. But there's this sense of, I mean, there's there's also the joke machine going on, and I want to I want to talk about that later in, in more detail. But you know, there's constant, nonstop jokes, just joke after joke after joke. There's always someone's always making a punchline, someone's always ending things with a with a twist, a, a, you know, a little funny twist, and and they do that through the rest of the season. And the joke machine goes through the entire season. Uh, you can definitely see that. But here, there's also just this sense of you know what, we're just gonna go crazy. We're just gonna go wild with um with this one concept that we have and just throw everything against the wall. And I think it is more enjoyable in these first couple episodes than it can be later on when things feel like they're getting bogged down. Again, that same sense of jokes, but for one reason or another, it feels more joyful here. And my thinking as to why it feels that way is again, we were talking about how they just go through the cycle over and over and over again. I think you can get kind of a rhythm going when you are just doing riffs on one thing as opposed to trying to do a new thing with each joke. So they get to riff on the same pattern over and over and over again. And they just, and they, you know, somebody figured out that that was going to be funny. And instead of just doing two or three, they, you know, they do 10, they do 15. They just, that's, that's where I think some of that exuberance comes from is that they just said, you know what, we're going to riff as fast as we can on this for, you know, an episode and, and, you know, see how far it takes us. And it really did just succeed wildly. Uh, I think it was Rachel who said that it's like a writer's room, but the good thing that has this episode that the rest of the season doesn't have is that they get to do that. They get to build on their jokes and set up a thing and then make it a payoff on the next iteration, which is a thing that they can't do on on the whole of the series because it's like so serialized episode by episode. But one thing I noticed this time around was Michael talking about uh, getting to be in the Bad Place Hall of Fame next to the guy who invented bees with teeth. And I'm like, how (laughs) awesome is that that they called it out so early in the season and then we actually went there? Yeah, it's like every iteration they showed us. I mean, that's where they're playing with us as the audience is every idea they showed could have been a season. And they're just like, nope, we're just gonna, we're gonna show them, move on. You know, who's your, the, the soulmate's uh, Tahani. It's a, it's a dog. It's uh... a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was such a great sequence. It was wonderful. And that calls, I mean, you know, that's something they're gonna pay off later is obviously the, the Eleanor-Tahani relationship has never been fully developed, but we're gonna see what happens there. Hmm. So we talked about how Eleanor is kind of a better person even starting it off this episode than she was at the start of the last one. And what is in theory supposed to be the same start of her story as it was at the beginning of the last episode. But she isn't quite the same. And I noticed that as well when she was talking with Chidi at the party. She is kind of being her, her, her old self. And then Chidi kind of calls her on it. And she says, oh, oh, yeah, okay. And yeah, that, that felt to me like she was policing herself and trying to be a better person right from the start. Yeah, I wonder if they, I mean, they don't address this in the rest of the season, but it felt like there's a little bit of an information leak, even though they're ostensibly being 
wiped clean. Like, uh, and that, I mean, that comes up with Janet because she's not being totally erased or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also see that, like, the same. I mean, the same patterns repeat because people are coming back into the same sorts of relationships. But it's also it just. I wonder if it's supposed to be understated. I mean, they don't they don't define everything in the universe, but it does feel like they're learning. You know, eight hundred times in, they're not the same people as when they got there. Even though ostensibly he's reset them to that state, but it doesn't seem to be perfect. But since they don't dress it in the show, I think it's more of like a writing device as opposed to a universe device. Well, it is it is established that Janet gets better with with mm-hmm. each reboot, but in the case of them, I think it's it's either a combination of writer device if you're a doilist maybe they're maybe they're robots maybe we'll find out the robots <laughs> not, a, not a robot that would be interesting <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's just that every time you change the, the setting of the of the episode of the of the universe that makes them act differently but mm-hmm. still and they get to play off of the upgraded janet which maybe is the the place where you can introduce change that's interesting too, right? Because she's more, I mean, she's ostensibly more helpful and more empathetic each time. So she may, yeah. And again, I think we, this is where I feel like maybe we're reading too much. I'm reading too much in is that it's um, because it's not addressed in the show. It is probably, you know, you, you have to show people getting better because otherwise you have unwatchable television if people don't change and are awful all the time. So that's, that's part of it. So I think we, we get to see a progression because they have to, the characters get more mature because they mm-hmm. have to. Well, there there are shows that that act like that. I mean, like Arrested Development and other shows. The Simpsons get off on that. <laughs> <And> Seinfeld, <laughs> I, you know. And I'm pretty glad that this show isn't like that. This would make the show unwatchable for me. Yeah. One thing I wanted to point mm-hmm. out is is the scenes in the medium place with Mindy St. Clair really do <laughs> seem to hit on exactly this this concept that you talked about, Glenn, where you know they're talking about how can we learn if we don't remember. And also Mindy also being a bit of a memory for them saying, you know, you guys have known each other for a long time. And I've said in a previous one of our episodes, maybe more than one, that that line really hit me uh, because it did speak to kind of this connection that, that comedies yeah. don't normally uh, uh, talk about too much. Hmm. But so what do people think about about those scenes in the medium place that kind of show this ongoing relationship that, that and, and the growth that Eleanor has 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 shown? I oh, the line where Eleanor states that she's only ever said "I love you" twice to Stone Cold Steve Austin and a guy she thought was Stone Cold Steve Austin. That one sticks with me for the whole series. Like that's that's one of those lines that I could see myself quoting when I'm thinking back on this show. You know, ten years from now, um, and the um, the writing on the back of that piece of artwork where they keep all their list of ideas feels like it could be dropping hints for other pieces of the season or, you know, just character development, just more writer's room stuff that they just, you know, you don't even have to see some of it, but you still have the picture in your mind. Keeps the the love angle going between Eleanor and Chidi, and, you know, we see that progress throughout the season as well, where they become fairly uncomfortable around each other. But the fact that they even get to the medium place that many times does show that you know they've they've really sped up their progress. Yeah, I still think when we talk about how fast they get to resolve things, it's a TV show. I mean, they're, they're not going to show every excruciating detail, every repeating thing. If you're going to if you're going to show the same thing over and over, you have to do like a montage. You have to cut within parts and speed up a bit. So we don't really know if they're doing it extremely fast or 
if just you know two weeks like the first time or something like that it's true and when yeah. i mean we find out at the end uh i forget the exact calculation isn't it about a thousand years that they when they're in iteration 800 something like that so but again we don't know how much you know is the karmic wheel broken and they're not actually improving which is the theme of the end of the season but i, I wanted to bring up something structural if you don't mind which is the um is how I'd forgotten until kind of getting back into, I, I think I watched the, these first episodes at least five times each. I haven't watched it in the last uh, few months. I have to say, I just realized, but I've watched them so often. They're like burned in my brain. So I'm like re uh, revisiting them. And I realized how beautifully they did all this intersection where it becomes this, it's almost like a British farce kind of thing where the handoff of she's drinking and she walks away and then Tahani takes the drinks, but then Chidi's in the position where Eleanor can overhear. And it's, I mean, it's mm-hmm. so gorgeously set up in a in a way that you don't see the mechanism turning until you get to the second point and you realize they're all intersecting. I mean, this is where we can get into, I don't think it's metafictional, but I mean, there's also the device that because we're watching this and, you know, yes, it's a written show that's supposed to be appealing, but also there are other forces at work is what it feels like. And that may just be the writers, but it could also be that, you know, uh, Michael's trying to do a thing and he keeps failing, he keeps failing. And I feel like his ultimate journey has to be you know, it's 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 the the bad place is going to wind up being overturned by the end of the season if we're lucky. Um, and this is part of it is that no matter what he does, they keep coming together for like almost unpredictable reasons that the whole intersection of what happened with them. That's a writing mechanism to make everything work also is a way in which you see that there's something working in their favor, even in an environment that's stacked against them. So maybe a little of both. I mean, it has to do that to be interesting, but but there may be something more there, too. I don't know. Do you think he's sabotaging himself because he actually likes these humans? Or oh, that's a great question. He's right? just incompetent. He could because he acts like he has so much contempt, but he really switches over pretty fast. And he kind of he seems yeah. to like some aspects of being in a human form, too. Well, he makes a mention at the beginning where he says that this time through he needs to keep them apart and not make them soulmates, you know, kind of spread them out. But then it seems like everything is so beautifully choreographed <laughs> to like bring them all back together. And I I love the way they shot things too, where you don't even see that Eleanor is pushing drinks to Tahani until it's mm-hmm. Tahani's turn. It it felt you know scripted really really prettily. Um, I think that that makes the episode move in a way that um, is you know pleasant for all of us to see our friends again. I just like seeing Tahani actually get to do. I mean, she she got to break out. The actress got to break out and just be completely sloppy and awful. <laughs> yeah, was that wonderful. was that was really fun. <laughs> She's less sympathetic too. You know, I mean, I think season two. I think they made Tahani in general, and it starts with this episode. Even in the early, you know, the second reboot, she is less sympathetic. Like she is perceived by the other characters as more awful. In the first season, she's just kind of snobby and a name dropper, but she's actually pretty great. And then this season, I feel like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm misperceiving her from the first season a bit too, but I didn't think she was portrayed as negatively. And this season, I think there's really a lot more of like she's kind of not a great person, even though I mean, (laughs) I think she. I feel like in the first season, the fact that she raised a lot of money and she was very charity-minded outweighed that. But now that we know that was entirely out of self-interest, this time around, we're seeing her as um, more, you know, more venal. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, at the beginning, we just have uh, Eleanor and and Jason knowing that they don't belong. They don't belong there. So mm. it's like, okay, Tahani seems annoying, but maybe that's just good people being good people. And because we're bad people, we just don't realize. 
And now that we know that she's a fraud, well, <laughs> that changed the whole thing. Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest, I don't know if it would be a mistake, but that Michael made in Reboot 2 was Tahani's uh, soulmate and living situation, because there's no way she believed she was in the good place <laughs> with all that stuff going on right I away. the same thing. Like, I'm like, how did she even do that? It was just like that, um, the guy that sang the jazz opera to Eleanor. Oh my god. (laughs) Moments you're just like, no one would ever (laughs) want this. This can't be the good place. What I love about Tahani and her new soulmate is that she could get whatever she wanted, like the big house and all the changes that she needs, but she she's so desperate to fit in and to belong that she's like, no, it's okay. If my soulmate is like this, then I'm going to be like this. If my so made once a smaller house, then I'm not going to be the, the person that makes Michael work and, and change paradise. But she could hypothetically say, no, you know what? I want a bigger house. Yeah, she definitely winds up. I mean, that's part of why she thinks. I, so here's my argument why she thinks she's in a good place. And again, I'm always it's like the universe is so convincing. I'm always arguing against the writers. But it's that uh, she having spent her lifetime it, uh, doing good works, uh, you know, for her own reason. She knows the type of guy that was made her soulmate, and she's like, oh, you know, it's basically an eternity of having to live up to that idea. And she spent so much time, and she's literally raised money mm-hmm. for the group that he, you know, ostensibly that he was part of. So she knows how she has to fit in. She, in although interesting, right? Because none of them, yeah, none of them except Eleanor, because the rest of them have their correct. Well, in the reboots, I just realized something. I think this may be a continuity issue. In the reboots, Tahani and um, uh, Chi both still think they should be there, even though we know they are in the bad place. But I think Eleanor and uh, John Yu, I can't remember his name for a second. Jason. Jason. I think they still know they shouldn't be there, right? In all the reboots, Mm -hmm. isn't that? That's still the scenario. So she still thinks she should be there. So she's not trying to... to, um, stay she's acting as she thinks she ought to act maybe and i found their tortures to be the most exquisite of the of the first reboot <laughs> in that they hmm. were really michael was really trying to take their personality and twist it against them really really you know just over and over and over again just just jab after jab after jab you know with with chidi he gets two soulmates so he has to make a decision and actually surprisingly enough he kind of does make a decision there but then michael yeah. even turns that against him as well so i think for both of them the, the the goal there was to torture them with their own personality in a way that I, I yeah with Eleanor and Jason I don't think that was the the case and I don't think that's necessarily inconsistent that's just and to some degree I think they did it because that was the most comedic possibilities for those two characters as well I love the way they tortured Chidi boy that sounds me when you say it out loud. <laughs> it's just so perfect for him that he has to choose something and that that is how they continue to torture him and he's just so wishy-washy and it and lovable and he still wants to you know help Eleanor in every iteration become a better person it's just it's the thing he loves to do and he gets to do it but then it also just tears him apart inside poor Chidi (laughs) that's true I really love that element that it's um what is going this episode it's in uh and the next episode is that is that thing that you know that he is the constant that given every other he really thing is that changes yep. he is yeah 
And it's beautiful. And it's consistent. You believe that as part of his character. For all that he dithers about everything else, he is there to do the right thing when, when called upon in the right way. And she's the one person who calls upon it in the right way. I thought it was funny that Eleanor's soulmate got his, his pass to heaven by donating his organs, presumably <laughs> posthumously, <laughs> because that means that he's basically like Tahani. So are they saying that Tahani and Eleanor should be together? Or are they saying that they're trying to torture her by putting her with someone that's like Tahani? Well, and we also don't know that her soulmate did anything good outside of dying. Like, that yeah. was his thing. And he's yeah. just a which bro is, dude who runs to the gym. Which is basically what Tahani did. Oh, you're right. Because, right, all of, if it's after you die, that doesn't count that his organs were donated. I never thought about that until this <laughs> Yeah. He's just pretty. <laughs> well, so the, the one thing that I wanted to bring up about that was that... That's great. The... You know, we talked about how the things failed and maybe that was sort of Michael's fault when he was doing that. But another point with this is because precisely because Michael said, I'm not going to pair the humans with each other. I'm going to pair them with a demon. I think the writers did basically intentionally do this, that they showed the effects of trying to pair this demon with a person when the demons don't even really want to do this. Like Michael's kind of cajoling them to do it all the way through. They were never meant to be this good at faking being a human being with another human being. I think that's part of what the writers meant for us to see as a reason why Michael's stuff failed. Michael's stuff failed because he didn't have the right tools to make it work. As in, in addition to all these other reasons, you know, that the, the, the humans actually have more good in them than they should otherwise. But I think the fact that the demons failed at it is, is, is a deliberate part of, of the plot. In these episodes. Even if it's just a throwaway, I have to say I love the bitey demon. Just yep. that he it's is great. so intent on biting everyone. That's great. Gun- Do they, gunner. they bring him back, don't they? Isn't he in later episodes trying to bite people? Uh, is he? Mm-hmm. I don't remember if we see him again. Isn't that funny? Yeah, well, it's I weird. Remember. I mean, I know talking about future episodes, but the fact that they depopulate is really like another thing you wouldn't see in most shows within the same season. That would be the next season or after that i like i like glenn glenn is great so glenn here's a moment of glenning the guy <laughs> who is named glenn is the brother of somebody i know oh no and yes and we were recording <laughs> so a much. different episode about the good place on the incomparable and my friend mark was listening live he's like oh that's my brother <laughs> who then got roped into a twitter conversation Anyway, there's your moment of Glenn nice. Glenning. Yes. Glenn, Glenn, Glenning. Neat. Okay, we- so that's how that feels. It was ridiculous <laughs> and hilarious. Like, that's my brother you're talking about. Oh, my God. All right. Aww. <laughs> well, we, so we've kind of talked about, you know, Eleanor a bit and Chidi a bit and Tahani a bit. Um, how about Jason? What do we think about Jason in these two episodes? I, I liked the whole montage of Jason with his male friend soulmate that was like <laughs> J- Jason building a building rocks in the garden spells out boobs and his soulmate builds these rock towers and like he just gets easily so frustrated with this person that has to be with him all the time and he's just like I just want my best friend back I want Pillboy was that his name Pillboy yeah, yeah Pillboy <laughs> <laughs> yeah he just he couldn't deal. It was kind of jarring to have him be silent again after knowing what he sounds like when he talks, that you just know while he's being paired with this other man that he's just dying to start talking. 
Because how many episodes in season one did we not even know that he could talk? Yeah. And yeah. now we know. And you know it's driving him crazy. <laughs> Jason's torture is very much like the Hannis. He only has to be content with what he has. And he can't even manage that. He, he can't even stay silent, which is like the, the easiest job. And he's already um, befriending Janet, wanting to give her a hug. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was really sweet. Well, it's weird about how how bad he is and what like he the kind of bad he is he's not evil uh you know and, and we've only seen him do property damage right that's the way they've made the distinction so he firebombed uh acid cats uh boat and he talks about slashing tires and things like that and then well, well he did frame someone's girlfriend so she was gonna go to jail right <laughs> so that's not so good <laughs> but right. he doesn't like go out and beat people or stab them um, so there's, this, but there's kind of this weird innocence about him being, he's like amoral and not very bright, but like the amorality makes, they're sort of positing that he's has so little intelligence that he exists in a place that's even outside amorality, that his judgments have no basis in any kind of moral universe, I guess is what I'm saying. Because <laughs> you can't define, you say, well, he can, he got someone convicted and sent to jail, which is awful, but also he's incredibly sweet and empathetic and supportive of people, and it doesn't seem inconsistent is the amazing part, I think, with the uh, the writing and acting, is that you'll buy that it's the same person. Um, you know, he's not going to stab you in the back exactly, but if you wrong him, he's going to, I don't know, it's still... It doesn't feel as nasty from him. You feel even when he's doing something like firebombing that boat, he's still like, "Yeah, go," you know. Yeah, you get the feeling that that sort of destruction probably wasn't his idea, but that he's capable of doing it. Although later on, we see that it actually was his idea to to yeah. throw what was it like a a firebomb? Yeah, yeah. He's always Molotov yeah. cocktail causes yeah. and solves all the yeah. problems, right? Or something. <laughs> then yeah. I have a different problem. Oh, thank you. I'm quoting Homer Simpson by accident. Alcohol, the cause of and solution to all our problems. And his soulmate loves fire, so they if he if he even talked, they would get <laughs> Oh, that's a good point. Along. Yeah. Well so I also want to point out the the bit at the end um where Jason talks with Michael or Michael talks with Jason, where Michael wants to have a person to bounce ideas off of without actually after having to hear him talk. And that's just it's just one of my most favorite scenes of the entire season, maybe the imp- entire series, because they just riff off of each other so nicely. I mean, it, they're definitely acting the way their characters would act, but you know, the, the writers managed to find a way to put them together in that conversation. And Jason's story is just so amazingly baffling, weird, and silly. And Michael has to listen to it and just just. It just put it together so nicely. And then, you know, Michael actually does come up with something based on that. It's just, I just found it a tour de force of comedy. I have a question, and I'm wondering if any of you have any thoughts about it. So if Sean is awaiting Michael and is sure that Michael is going to fail and is checking in on what is failing, but he doesn't know it, what what exactly is the reasoning behind Sean continuing this and not just shutting it down immediately after it fails the first time. Like, what is he getting out of this? But why does he let? Why does he let yeah. it be talked why into? Why does he let it continue? That's interesting. It felt like a little bit of torture there. Like Sean obviously wants Michael <laughs> to. I mean, there's kind of that weird double negative thing, like Bizarro World. It's like, does Sean? Does Sean? 
hate other people he works with? Or does because <laughs> you know sometimes they have very positive emotions about negative things, and sometimes they're rooting for failure. So like when they you know at the at the Hall of Fame, they're all actually being very supportive of each other's work, right? It's just yeah. negative stuff. But here, I actually wondered if Sean's like, well, I'm going to give you another chance because I really want you to hang yourself and I think you're going to fail. But why not let you do it? Because it'll be even funnier, you know, more val- more amusing to me if you fail really big. But I don't know if that's totally right yeah. either. I mean, that kind of plays into like the we see Michael getting better throughout the season mm-hmm. thing where um, you kind of wonder, like, is this – is this not so much the good place or the bad place? It's like a test for Michael. Like, is it ultimately, is this yeah. show really about Michael? <laughs> I've wondered that. I've wondered so, if we're going to find out brilliant. the ultimate reveal is this was all, that they're in on it and that this yeah. has all been, right? <laughs> yeah. So you wonder if Sean is part of that, of like, this is how we prompt Michael along. And, you know, watching these episodes again made me think, like, in in the framework of so much of season two being about Michael, then you know, how do we frame it from his point of view mm-hmm. of, you know, growing as a character? And that kind of fits into it. It's a great question. But yeah, I mean, I, I have wondered, like, that's the, that's the bigger question. I don't think we have enough information yet, right? And there's, there's that constant speculation that everything we're being told is a lie and everything we're being shown, it's all a setup. But I feel like they've been honest with us <laughs> enough inside of structures so that now that we're in the second season, it's not that we can trust everything, but there's like we're a little deeper into it. So it would be harder to reverse, uh, you know, to retcon everything to make sense the way the first season did. And also you don't usually do the same, you know, shtick twice, but that's why they're, that's why they finished the season the way they did. Yeah. Well, and you know, ultimately that Michael's willing to sacrifice so much for his friends. Um, But we don't know that starting this season, although, you know, with hindsight, we can see some of that filtering through. I think we've already kind of talked with uh, about Michael a little bit. I think, and Michael is the last big character that I, that I wanted to bring up for the group. I think one thing you know we see later in the season that he grows in certain ways. I have uh, watched these these first couple of episodes you know a couple of times, and I do think in the same way that we talked about in the wrap up, I don't think there's as many hints that he has that growth capability in him in these first three chapters mm. as I would have liked to have seen in order to really feel that that was a satisfying trajectory for him i think these first three uh, episodes or th- first three chapters he's still pretty much the enemy and he's still pretty much hating on humans and and being really negative about pretty much everything you know he's got a he's got that speech that inspirational speech to his demons where he talks about how horrible humans are and you know they've got elbows <laughs> and mouths and everything else <laughs> and he seems entirely genuine about that there isn't really much of a reason for him to lie at that point and he also like you know there's a way to act where it's like oh i'm i'm saying these horrible things but i don't really believe them he didn't seem to be acting like that. That didn't seem to be the direction that he was getting during those scenes. You know, he did change later, but I think that was kind of more of a left turn than a steady progression. And that was one of my dissatisfactions with, with the season. One thing I'm thinking about too, is we saw more of Michael at the beginning of these reboots. And if it was a thousand years, Michael has a thousand years of remembering and watching the humans and seeing how they went through all of that. So I think that's where a lot of his growth happened in sort of where we didn't see it. Because, you know, we, we kind of we kind of see him doing his little recordings in his office during the thing. But then you don't really get him again until the end when he's talking to Jason. And that's when you kind of realize he sees something in them after watching them for so long. 
We also get um, the little wrinkle of Vicky, Denise, Eleanor, real Eleanor, whatever. Um, <laughs> and they burn through that so fast as well. That could have easily stretched across multiple episodes, but we see, and they haven't, you know, become a team yet, but we see the, the shaping of them as a group against the forces of the good, bad place. <laughs> Yeah, I I really don't like the the Vicky character. The writers need a a character to play off, so Michael knows that he's against the wall and has to get a new team. But I don't find her compelling in any way. Mm. I prefer to have Sean being the the opposing force, but I guess they needed someone in set to keep him on his toes. Right. They they needed they needed to keep the plot moving forward in in that sense and and she was that mechanism. And I do think they, you know, with the other demons, with the way that they showed that they were getting restless and not doing their jobs and and not liking where they were, that that was paved, you know, that that trajectory uh, was was pretty smooth in the sense that the okay, how do we get from the very beginning when Michael's trying to do these reboots to the very end where he's kind of against the wall? in this particular situation that did, you know, they, they took a while during these, these two episodes to get that fully portrayed. They didn't, it, it was, I think they did sort of a good show versus tell for that one. They didn't just have someone explain that this was a bad thing happening, but they showed us little by little, the frog getting boiled. I think the show kind of agrees with you, Javier, in that she actually did show up a lot less than I was expecting in later episodes that this was kind of her big moment in the sun is this uh, resistance against Michael and then once that was achieved, then her remaining time was more uh, maintaining that antagonism as opposed to having a lot more plot herself, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, you you get to see the humans feeling like they're being tortured and then the demons feeling like they're being tortured too. <laughs> and neither of them like it. Yeah, it's effective in the sense that it does move the plot along the way they want it. But she feels like a plot device. She She's not fleshed out in a way that a character should be. That's what I'm complaining, really. Well, she is a demon. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so by, by my lights, we've kind of talked about, you know, all the major characters. We didn't talk about Janet at all. Isn't that unbelievable? That's true. I completely forgot about Janet. Not a robot. Although I don't feel like, I feel like her character builds a lot as the season goes on. So here she's doing a lot of, um, you know, lifting and moving things around and not having any real development. And we haven't really learned that she's changed till later. So that's why I just cracked. I was suddenly like, wait a minute. How do we, <laughs> how do we ignore her? Cause she's so great, but she's mm-hmm. just doing, I mean, she's, she's doing more supporting and lifting here than, uh, as her character does than, um, than anything else. She's just Basti Alexa. Hmm. Yeah. The um, scene on the beach of all the times that Michael had to reboot Mm -hmm. Janet is one of my my favorites. The the actress does a phenomenal job, but all the times she had to (laughs) fall over in the sand, I'm sure that was not comfortable. Did not look comfortable, no. Not that's all in this. Yeah, yeah. I I also, I love Mindy St. Clair. Mindy St. Clair is probably my favorite character in the show overall the actress just nails it too mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's so good so perfect she could just be walking out of a movie like nine to five or something like that it's like <laughs> just, but it's also like i have i have a pet theory that maybe it's going to turn out that she's god or something because uh-huh. she 
she has a very good story, but there's something a little convenient about her role. Um, kind of when she, you know, it's a little bit like she is the, uh, oh, although maybe she has the Bill Murray role is that she remembers <laughs> things. Everyone else comes back to her. She's not reliving her life, but they are. Mm-hmm. She's like, look, I made a list and turns the yeah. thing over. But there's something about how she is both sympathetic, but above everything. She's seen everything. She's been already been there a number of years, although, yeah, because she's, of course, right. And she's, when we start the show, it's contemporary, but now a thousand years has passed and Mindy's been there by herself for a thousand years with occasional visitors. So I, I, lo- I just love Reading it. the same magazine. Yep. Oh my God. A thousand and four She's years. annoyed, but still so kind to them. And she actually says, you know, I'm really pulling for you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you believe it. You believe that she genuinely wants things to work out. She's just so, she's so bored, but somehow, <laughs> I don't know. It's just great. Well, she's still a pretty awful person, right? Like she, she, you know, she says part, sometimes you left because I was walking into a room masturbating, right? Like, you know, yeah, people don't amazing. do that. Right? I walked, you walked in on me. Sometimes I walked. That's yeah. just great. Well, but though she, it's again, it's a morality issue. It's like at this point, it's like, it's been, I've been here on my own. I don't even, I don't care. You guys come in. This is my house. And so it's at some level, she's just bypassed niceties and, and so forth. But she is, but it is, she is kind. She's, she's interested in the outcome being positive. Of course she, I mean, you know, the thing is she could get rescued and she never thinks about that. She never suggests that she'll go back with them because it's the bad place, obviously. Right. And she's at least in the medium place. Right. Yeah. Right. She's had her sentencing. <laughs> when they, t- and we talk more about medium places later on in the season in a way that I think uh, it, it's really interesting. And I think we should probably, maybe not necessarily these episodes, but we should definitely come back to because the medium place was really just an environment for Mindy St. Clair, kind of almost a plot device in the first season, I think, and even in these couple of episodes. But we get to more of the metaphysical aspect of what it means to have a medium place. And with our talk at the end of the season about what it means to have a, a bad place at all, I, I do think they're going to come back to that. This show is so good. <laughs> this is one of the few sitcoms my wife has watched in the last 10 or 15 years, I think. We rarely can find something we really uh, like on broadcast uh, TV. And what's funny is I think My Name is Earl is one of the previous ones that I'd say oh, wow. we really both mm-hmm. liked quite a lot. And that is, again, a show about morality. And it unfortunately, I think, fell off. We gave up in the second season. It fell off a lot. The first season was amazing. Uh, but it still had these. it had the same... You know, you had some dirt bags, like Oliver's a dirt bag, dealing with issues. But they're still on Earth. But anyway, there's some there's some things in common with it. But it had a great heart, and this show has such a great heart. Well, what, one thing that came up when we were talking when we brought up Janet and her scenario and her scenes is uh, I did want to kind of revisit the the idea of this of the joke machine. Um, there were just so many good lines, you know. Apart from you know the plots and the characterization of everybody, there were just so many good lines in these episodes and in all the episodes. So you know, why don't we do sort of a bring out your dead kind of thing? Like, what lines did people really like from these these two episodes? I loved the clam chowder and how gross that was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a river of what warm seawater with bugs in it, something like that. Yeah. yeah. A, lot, was a latte with bugs it. and uh, <laughs> savory ocean water with croutons or something. Yeah. <laughs> Over the description. And, you know, every pizza's Hawaiian and all the coffee is yeah. K-cups. And... Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm too young to die and too old to eat from the kids' yep, menu. Yep, yep. What a stupid age I am. That was a good one. Well, and then Michael had the thing where, where oh. Jason figured it out and he said, yeah, yeah, that, that really hurts. 
That one hurts. Yeah. That one hurts. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <That one> hurt. <laughs> uh, Jason talking about how he had to live in a yogurt. And to, no, it's a yurt. He goes, yeah, yurt for short. <laughs> how Eleanor thinks that he might have a mystical amulet from some like oh, weird yeah. wizard man, and it's just a piece of a bicycle. <laughs> but it sort of was an amulet too. Yeah, it worked that <laughs> it worked way. That just way. because she believed. <laughs> I thought we were going to see uh, mm-hmm. uh, something magical with that. There's a bit with all of Janet being rebooted. There's I can't remember the exact line, but she holds up a picture of her children. <laughs> And then what does she say? She, they're not really my children. Just came with I forget those. But she has that line about she's she's got the uh, ultrasound and she says it's Michael's baby. Oh, that's right. That's good. The, yeah. um, she has tickets for Hamilton next week Jam- and heard a rumor, uh, rumor that David Diggs is coming back. Yes, they, they all. You got to watch the uh, there's outtakes also. You know you can watch the deleted uh, and it's funny because mm-hmm. like uh, uh, the Jason Mendoza actor he will. Um, uh, he had a bunch of them, and I, it looked to me, I don't know if they were given to him or he was improving. It felt like he was improving, but he had so many different things to say, and it's possible. I mean, they are just, we were saying, you know, the joke machines, like, they are just, uh, they produce so many good one liners. They're like Twitter, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, so they just, the amount of stuff that they leave on the cutting room floor or they stick in the corners, like that quick change of all the. Um, all the uh, store names yep. was the yeah. themes change. Yes, and those are just throwaway. You have to freeze frame. And we're you know, error. It's super easy to freeze frame, so you do it. But it's like those are throwaway jokes, and they're funnier than most shows have jokes across an entire episode. We're just signs. <laughs> Tahani's new soulmate saying that Crocs have holes in them, so your feet can feel the breeze. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that was great. Oh, Croc. Oh, is it? Pant, but... I'm praising off the rack separates. And, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. T- oh, that was hysterical. Uh. Um, her whole thing about being a plumberess or um, a <laughs> clog wench. Uh, uh, I think yeah. we're yeah. Clog f- female and terms for plumbers. Michael she is just as good on Twitter. Oh, oh. Uh, Jamila uh, Al Jamila is just as funny on um, Twitter. She seems to be exactly the same person. The stuff is clearly her. And she is hilarious in a way that I mean, uh, Kristen Bell is is great and very funny. But you know, she is uh, when she her her tweets and Instagram are definitely you know a different, a slightly different tone. They're not quite as like you know they're not one liners. Jamila Al Jamil is the same. I think is the same person as <laughs> her outfit. Oh my gosh, where she's walking around looking so ashamed of the cargo <laughs> pants and super coarse denim jacket. And oh wow, is that rough? <laughs> well, there's that one line near the end where she says, oh, but they really are quite comfortable. And again, it's just this, this you know, off the cuff thing, so to speak. But it's just so funny when you're like, they're really quite comfortable. Just her delivery is amazing. And and the the uh, glasses demon saying like, look, we have the same pants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a whole bunch of jokes that Eleanor makes about, well, not jokes, but when she's trying to remember uh, uh, Janet's name, and Busty Alexa is one of them, but there are others, and I don't remember all of them, but it's, oh, yeah. it's just a whole bunch. And they're all pretty good. Jackie Lady. Those might be in the out- outtakes also. I think she has like 20 of them. She listens, <laughs> maybe not that many, but there's just, there's all this iteration. But there's some good, there's some good improv influences. I love the fact also, mm-hmm. this is just a you know bigger thing, is that like the fact that several of these actors have rarely have like not appeared on uh, or I mean uh, Jamil Jamil and um I what can I remember his name? The fellow makes Jason Mendoza. Uh, Manny something. Manny Jacinto. Yeah. Jacinto. Yes. Jacinto. And, and the fact sure. that they've really never done 
that much acting and ever really, and you're like, how do you get people who are like naive performers and just, they can represent themselves in such an honest way. It's so great. And especially, um, Kristen Bell, you know, has a, has a well-known affinity to uh, fart and that's how she breaks the ice. And so they're talking about, she just goes around and it's like hard to keep up that impression of her as being this big time actress when she's just going farting at them all the time. <laughs> <coughs> so that's where we end it, right? That's how we end this episode. <laughs> yep. Kristen <laughs> Bell's farts. That's it. <laughs> the end. <laughs> By Jason Mendoza. Glad Jay- to raise the tone oh, of this yes, podcast. Exactly. All right. So let me thank um, our hosts and guests for this episode. <laughs> Um, Glenn Fleshman, thank you for joining us. Thank you thank so you, much. Glenn. Oh, thank you. Aww. And Rachel Adaman, thanks for, for being here. Thanks, guys. It was great. Sarah Gardner, thank you as well. Thanks. Oh, it was nice to talk to you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's good to, good to be back again, right? Good to get the gang together. And Javier Matusevich, thank you. Go fuck yourself, you mean giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line. <laughs>